0: Two lighthouse keepers try to maintain their sanity while living on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1890s.
1: Damn, that was a super long synopsis
0: summary. (laughs) Directed by Robert Eggers, starring Willem Dafoe and
1: Robert Pattinson. And some albino looking guy in a flashback scene. I bring you The Lighthouse. All right. You know what? That was a short and simple summary. That was a good one because you've read some of the long ones that are just, uh, what do they call that... uh, uh, expositional, <laughs> expository, I don't fucking know the word. Why are you using it? Because it sounds funny and I, I just want to hear myself talk right now. All right. So this, okay. When I first saw the trailer for this, I was already interested because love Willem, Willem Dafoe. He is an actor who loves to eat up a scene, you know, whether it's Boondock Saints or, or, um, Boondock Saints <laughs> or, or, uh, I don't know, Shadow of the Vampire, all the things you see, we we've seen him in, man. He, he just loves to eat up scenes. And uh, then Robert Pattinson, I I have learned to respect this guy as an actor over the last few years because, of course, anybody can fall into that stereotype of being a a specifically popular, you know, pop culture type character. And Robert Pattinson, of course, is is Edward from Twilight. And that didn't really get to... Those films did not get to show off his acting capabilities at all. He was just a pretty boy. And I don't even remember any of his acting skills in those films at all. Well, once I saw him in, um, oh my God, there was this post-apocalyptic film with Guy Pearce that he was in. He was really good in that. He played someone who had a mental retardation. And then um, he was in a movie uh, uh, about a year or two ago called Good Times. And that one was really well done. And it showed that this guy does have some range and he's he's more than just Edward. So to see him, you know, so I already knew that he was going to be good. That's why I I wasn't like pissed off when I heard about him going to be Batman because... I, I know this guy's got range. So I want to see what he can do. He doesn't have the jaw structure like Ben Affleck or anything like that, or even John Hamm, but. And, and
0: that's where I, I disagree. I don't want him to be Batman. He's not Bruce Wayne. Yeah.
1: So, but, but you know what? I in this day and age where they're always just grabbing people, I'm glad that they're grabbing. I mean, even though they're not grabbing someone whose face is perfect for it, he, at least they're grabbing an actor who will delve into the role and and make it his own. And so, I, I look forward to seeing what he's going to do with Bruce Wayne. Of course, you know it's Warner Brothers. So <laughs> there you, <laughs> you go. You can throw plenty of good actors into something. That don't mean it's going to be uh, be well done. So. Yeah, so this movie is just for all accounts and purposes, this is Willem Defoe and Robert Pattinson's movie. There's nobody else in there. There's just a couple quick like shows of of someone here and there. But I think that ninety-nine point nine percent of the dialogue in this film is from these two guys. And so with the trailer that I saw, you know, what was it, six months ago or whatever, I was like, damn, this looks gritty. This looks really dark and it definitely, it was giving me these um, these old 1920s silent film kind of vibes. You know, like, uh, I don't know, like the Hunchback of Notre Dame or or not Nosferatu, but almost like Nosferatu. But yeah, it was uh, it definitely you could just tell that this was. It was very interesting to look at, and you know, just by the look of it, and the fact that it's done by Robert Eggers, who did The Witch um, from 2015. And I, I, I think I might have made that my pick of the week once. This guy is really good. He's just like the guy Ari Aster, who did Midsummer and Hereditary. This guy understands horror, and he understands how to make it work, like how to add um, suspense and dread and and terror and, and not have to give you jump scares and and cheap, you know, tropes to, to, you know, grab your attention instead. They, they, you can tell these these two different directors; they love filmmaking because of the effort that they put into it. And and Eggers right here with The Witch, excellent! Oh my God, way better than I thought it was going to be. Creepy ass movie. Uh, and then coming into this one, I'm like, okay, the guy that made The Witch, let's see what he's you know maybe he, he's going to do more than you know because if you look at other directors who have done uh, really good things, um, the the like visionary directors who have come around, and then all of a sudden they did a good really good movie, but then they started doing some other ones that were more style over substance and then they lose it like N- Nicholas Winding Refin is a good example of that he did drive I believe it's Nicholas Winding Rain I've, I've heard even I, I've, I'm i gonna go off a of Stuckman and he even said Refin. so I'm just I know he's not the he's not the uh, uh, authority on that but I've heard it from multiple people it's Refn so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna ride it like that because it doesn't feel right when you say it because it's not spelled Refin. it's just you know whatever Um, yeah watch him come out in the interview and say yeah it's Rain <laughs> I'm like shut up Mike Winding Refn, he, you know, he he's really good at visuals. You know, Drive was a good combination of character and visuals and style. And then he did God only God forgives, and that movie was just style over nothing. It was empty. And then he did a movie a couple years ago called The Neon Demon, which is a very disturbing movie, and you got to see it at least once if you love filmmaking. You have to see The Neon Demon to see how awesome it looks. In, you know, in, in appearance wise, it, it, it. But it, it's it, you're going to walk away from it going, God, that was fucking dark. But it is worth. We're seeing it's on uh, Hulu right now. Um, But yeah, but with winding reference, you don't, you know, it's hard to know if you're going to get anything other than what he did with drive because all these other things that he's done after that, it's just, yeah, it's more look than anything. But with the, but so far now with Robert Eggers, who his brother co-wrote this film with him, um, and he doesn't have I look tried to look him up and he didn't have a filmography. So I think I think he's just starting out. His brother is, and um, just kind of like how like um, Christopher Nolan's brother, um, uh, which I can't for the life of me remember his name right now. But Christopher Nolan's brother also helped him um, with with a few things. So I think that you know coming on up kind of thing. So um, but yeah, this is two movies now, and I am I'm. I'm a fan now of this guy because this guy gets it. He gets how to make movies. And the fact that you can take a movie that if other, if other people had done it, there's a movie that came out like three years ago called the lighthouse. And it's, it's got a similar, very similar premise, not completely the same, but it's very similar. It's even um, like one of the inspirations for this film that I'm reviewing that we're reviewing is, um, is, uh, is on this this tale from like eighteen the early eighteen hundreds of these two guys that were watching a lighthouse and then they you know sh- shit happened to them they got like stranded there and so that movie from twenty sixteen is based on that event as well but this one's loosely based this one's got elements of that and then it's got Greek mythology stuff added in and um and then I don't know there's other stuff that I don't know because I'm not I'm a movie guy but I'm not an art house film guy I you know I don't know all the the foreign you know all that shit so uh but whatever this. Is a very entertaining movie. I did not ever get bored with this. Like I could see how some moviegoers would get bored watching a film like this if they're not into drama, dramatic acting, and they have to have flashing lights going on all the time around them, and and jump scares, and and you know, and have some crappy pop music playing or something, right? Or some freaking rapper celebrity shows up in a cameo. You know, none, none of that stuff. This is this is true art house filmmaking at its finest. You know, you can tell the effort was put into like every single degree of this of this film where the look of the lighthouse, the island, the the the, the, the fact that they use 35 millimeter cameras and the aspect ratio, that square aspect ratio. When we were watching the film and it had that, that, that square aspect ratio where um it, like half the screen on both sides was, was just black. And I kept waiting for like, you know, when you watch the beginning of a movie and it starts off and it's in widescreen presentation and then all of a sudden then it becomes full screen after a few minutes, kind of like, I don't know, trying to kind of deliver some kind of a f- dramatic effect in that way this one i thought was going to do that i kept waiting for it and then all of a sudden i forgot that he was even there i this movie was so good that that i didn't even notice for a while there would be large chunks of time where i would i didn't even notice it was in that square format anymore you know like it, it, it's kind of like the op- it's like watching 3d movies like 3d movies that aren't co- filmed in 3d you know like avatar and then there was another one we saw that was filmed in three that was oh um was it alita or it was something um and well, uh, when you watch other like post converted 3D movies, you forget you're watching 3D for a while um, because it just it isn't that great. This one was like that, but the opposite of of being good, you know, bad. It, this was good. This was so well done and so um, intriguing, you know, captivating with these performances and and the style of the film that you couldn't even, you know, I, I forgot, I totally forgot about about the the, the square house picture. And so, you know, I'm just wondering what the hell's going on in these characters' minds because. You know, I already could tell that this movie had metaphors in it. I just didn't know exactly what they were at first. And so I'm trying, it gets to a point where, especially Robert Pattinson's character, where he starts to, he's slowly starting to lose his shit. And, you know, it's hard to tell sometimes, not always, but sometimes it's hard to tell if he's hallucinating or if shit's just going weird in front of him and he's just trying to find some way to, to adapt to it. And, but either way, it, it's, you know, the, all the, the things that happen are just, you know, that this is, this is not, movie's not going to have a happy ending. There's no, there's no rainbow at the end of this, of this, uh this work tour that they've got going on for themselves. And the fact that these guys are only on this island supposedly for five weeks or around, you know, they're supposed to only be there for four weeks, but like, I think like right before the end happens, the, the character, um, he makes a guess that they've been there for like five weeks and two days or something like that, but he's not sure. And, When I kept hearing things like that, I started thinking that maybe this movie was almost like a Dante's Inferno kind of thing or or something where like they're in purgatory and because they both have sins, you know, because there's parts where you hear Willem Dafoe's character like off screen saying, you know, don't spill your beans, you know, why did you spill your beans (laughs) to Robert Pattinson's character? So, I just kept thinking that, okay, that's why they're on this island. He has to work his ass off and he's suffering through all this stuff. And there's there's seagulls that are supposedly might have the souls of sailors in them. So, they're taunting him because he's in purgatory. So, he has to suffer for this for a while. That was my theory for a while. Maybe it could possibly still be true. Maybe, but um, I haven't heard anyone else's... Ideas that that confirms that. So that's just my idea that it might be this. Even if this, th- there is no, there is no purgatory. There is no real Greek mythology here, and it's just hallucinations. Still, really well done, you know, because the way it ends up, you know, it ends just like a Greek Greek tragedy in a way, you know, with the with him laying on the rocks, right? Spoiler alert, which is like the um, Prometheus, right, who gets his guts eaten out every day, and then they grow back, and then they get eaten out again by 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 crows or whatever, you know. Birds, so yeah, it, this, the mythology stuff is there definitely, and then like the you know the uh, the tentacle creature and the mermaid. And, uh But what was I did not expect in this film was the little doses of humor that were in it. You know, it, it was it it helped. It helped to lighten the mood occasionally because of how much dr- like just uh foreboding you feel while you're watching the film. So right when they first show Willem Dafoe's character up in the in, in their room and he farts. <laughs> it just it was so unexpected to hear him fucking fart. And and then when you near the end when you hear Robert Pattinson starts to go off on everything that he hates about Defoe's character and he brings up him farting. You fought, you kept farting, you fucking fought. And he just keeps talking rambling about him farting and yeah it it just uh, the level of degrees that that Pattinson was able to go to with his character especially when he's like almost mute throughout most of the film he doesn't want to talk and then all of a sudden he starts to open up more and more the drunker him and Defoe are getting and the more irritated he's getting I don't know if um I I I, if you noticed this but I noticed did you ever see Willem Defoe's character actually do any fucking work while they were there because it seemed like like Pattinson was doing all the work and Defoe was either sleeping drinking or hanging out in the fucking lighthouse that's his job is to hang out in the lighthouse <laughs> okay well then that makes sense so um yeah and so and that's another reason why i thought that pattinson was in purgatory because he's just slaving away like i remember that part where he's pushing the wheelbarrow in the rain in this torrential rain and it's just blowing him left and right and it's on this this muddy rocky you know little hill here it just i'm like god this this got to be one of the shittiest jobs in the world man having to deal with that um and yeah, just all the other weird things, you know, and the fact that, you know, like, you know, you find out that he might have killed someone and, or he, you don't know if he, I, I don't remember if it reveals that he intentionally killed someone or he accidentally killed someone. I can't remember. Um, but the fact that, you know, I, I'm just, that's why I think of the purgatories because of that, of, of all these little things that he's had him to go through. And then the fact that the bird keeps tormenting him. And- So there, there are scenes that are, that really like take this movie into an upper echelon of filmmaking. One is just the performance of Willem Dafoe where he starts to berate Pattinson over when Pattinson criticizes his cooking. And there's like this uncut, at least two minute long scene. It could have been more. Where Defoe just starts to curse him, you know, the Greek the gods, well, you know, blah, blah blah. and he just goes off on him. And Defoe doesn't blink one time in the entire scene, and he doesn't, I mean, and I, what I read in the trivia, I don't know if it's true, but what I read in the trivia was that he did that in one take. And if he did, holy shit, that is <laughs> that is amazing. I also read about the the methods. they're, they're, they're both method actors, but they their methods are way different than than the way you know then just their approaches to to doing it like like these two didn't really hang out with each other at all during filming because for most of the filming because so that when they finally had to work together, it was you know more awkward and all this stuff and and also um uh, pattinson didn't doesn't like to do or what was it shit i can't i don't want to make i don't want to say the wrong person, but one of them doesn't like rehearsing I think it was Pattinson he likes to just go into it raw. Um, and just, you know, boom, instantly react to anything when he's in the middle of a scene. He doesn't want to rehearse a bunch of times because then it, he says it, it makes him feel forced. So, and Defoe's different. Defoe likes to rehearse and, you know, and work out his little kinks and shit. So each one has their own little approach, but regardless of what their approaches were, how different they were, when they came together in these scenes, awesome. They should win all the awards. And I, without going into a long, Bitch and complain about uh, complain about the, how the Oscars aren't relevant anymore. Still, if if you're gonna win awards and the Oscars were still, you know, valid these guys deserve the Oscars for this. Okay. Uh, the cinematography deserves an Oscar. Production design deserves an Oscar. Um, director writing, uh, all of that stuff deserves at least nominations because, um, there was plenty of times where I'm watching this and I didn't even think I, I like, I, I actually, it almost felt like they had taken cameras back in time and were filming in that era that it set in, in the late 1800s, like 1890s or something like that. um, it just felt really almost authentic in a way um, based off of, you know, all the films I've seen over the years of, that are were filmed around that time and stuff like that and pictures and, and things. So um, the only thing that, that, that would me out of that to think that this was actually filmed back then was when I'd see Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. Because I know that, well, you know, those two actors are are now. <laughs> but but otherwise, yeah, I, I mean, oh man, just, I mean, the part, it's just simple things. Like, I mean, like when the boat's going away and you see it slowly disappearing into the fog, you know, and, and you still hear that horn and, and, uh and and just the just the how gritty the the film quality looks at times and 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 all that stuff. So, um this is this is a really good movie. Uh I highly recommend it for people that love films, that love acting that um, can look at at um, production design ha- can look at um, see the little things that are done to make a movie work because if you if the good contrast is if you go and watch a movie that's poorly made like just go to YouTube and watch some, like certain fan films for example you know which no I'm not trying to knock people if you got balls to make a film go ahead good good for you you know you know, God bless but um, you still you can see when, when the effort's put into making th- certain things and when the effort's not there when you see half-assery and when you don't see it when you see full-on just planning it out methodical filmmaking this you can tell that this guy robert eggers he put the effort into making this movie seem as authentic as possible and sell it he sold it i mean this you know what this movie also reminded me of it almost was like a a, a twilight zone episode except in twilight episode twilight zone episodes you never saw a guy fuck a mermaid but Regardless, still, you'd want to see a guy fuck a mermaid in, in an episode of, of Twilight Zone. You know, just they didn't have the balls to do it. But otherwise, great, really good movie. But I would like to see it at least one more time. And then maybe, you know, I could analyze it a little better for myself. But I, yeah, recommend it. I just, but it's not for everybody. If you're a Michael Bay person and you you don't give a shit about remakes and you, you, you'll go and see remakes of movies that just were made fucking 10 years ago. You know, and you don't give a shit, then this movie is not for you. It's not. It's not for that kind of person. So otherwise though, yeah. Definitely see the lighthouse. See it now. See it now, right now, during Halloween. It's a good good period piece for that for this time period. This the season. All right. I'm looking up mythology. Huh. And I found one. <coughs>
0: I'll go back to a couple of things that I found, but I was looking up... I was looking at horns in mythology, and Heimdall... Did you know he was black? No, I didn't. <laughs> Old Norse Heimdall in North myth- mythology, the watchman of the Gods, called the shining god and whitest skinned of the gods. <laughs> Heimdall dwelt at the entry of Asgard, where he guarded the Bifrost Rainbow Bridge. Yeah. He required less sleep than a bird, could see a hundred leagues, and could hear grass growing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um... Heimdall kept the ringing horn, uh, Jallarhorn, which could be seen, or I'm sorry, which could be heard throughout heaven, earth, and the lower world. It was believed that he would sound the horn to summon the gods when their enemies, the giants, drew near at the Ragnarok, the end of the world, gods, and men. When that came, Heimdall and his enemy, Loki, would slay each other. Hmm. So as I'm, I'm going through this because I looked up Chiron, and I'll, and I'll get into Chiron in a second. But this one was really interesting because at the end of the world of gods and men, when that time came, Heimdall and his enemy Loki would slay each other. Well, you know, Loki, who is. Uh, Got a Mischief.
1: Yeah, kind of. Never Metaphors, Mr. Ipkiss. I meant it as a metaphor. But it's
0: very, very interesting that this article came up. Cunning tri- trickster had the ability to change his shape and sex, although his father was the giant uh, Farbatu, Farbati. He was included among the Aesir, a tribe of gods. Loki was represented as the companion of the greater gods Odin and Thor, helping him with his clever plans, blah, 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 blah. He was the principal cause of the death of the god Baldur. Loki was bound to a rock as punishment, thus in many ways resembling the Greek figures Prometheus and Tantalus. Also like Prometheus, Loki is considered a god of fire.
1: So when did he <clears> steal <throat> the Allspark? Because, you know, the, the Tesseract looks like a fucking Allspark. So who is the one that's
0: always lighting stuff in, in the movie? Lighting stuff? Yeah. In the lighthouse.
1: Yeah. Oh, shit. Um... Who... Who? I mean, um, I, if I had to guess, I would say Pattinson, because he was the one always doing all the work. Because <laughs> Defoe didn't do shit. All he did was fart and stare at a light. <laughs> And get naked? Think deeper into this movie. I don't remember. I, th- I There's cigarettes, there's
0: pipes, there's stoves, there's the light, there's lanterns. Mm-hmm. Who was lighting all the stuff up? I think Pattinson was. For the most part. It, I think you're right. So, if, if he's the one that's... Mm. It has nothing to do with the work or anything else like that, but if he's the one that's always having to light stove or light pipes or this and that and the other thing, his cigarettes mostly, right? Then you can draw a parallel between him and Loki. And then Heimdall...
1: Oh, because he changed his appearance because he took the identity of the guy that he supposedly killed. There you go. Bada bing, bada bing, bada boom.
0: So, I don't know who the equivalent of Chiron is in Norse mythology, but in Greek mythology, Chiron was the ferryman.
1: Yeah, just like the name of the character that Lance Reddick played in John Wick series, the one who ran the hotel with uh, Ian McShane. He was the, what do they call it, the desk man? I don't, I don't know. What do they call a desk man in a hotel? Desk man. Concierge or... Uh... Uh, yeah. So his
0: appearance and demeanor. Chiron is depicted frequently with looks like a rough, unkempt Athenian seaman dressed in reddish brown, holding a ferryman's pole in his right hand, using his left hand to receive the deceased. Hermes sometimes stands by in his role as the psychopomp. Uh, it's a creature, spirit, or angel, or a deity or deity, depending on who you are, uh, in many religions whose responsibility is to escort newly deceased souls from the earth to the afterlife. The role is not to judge the deceased but simply guide them. On later vases, Chiron is given more kindly and refined demeanor. In the first century BC, Virgil describes Chiron manning his rust-colored skiff in the course of Aenea's descent to the underworld after the Cumaean Sibyl. Ugh, there's so many things. Other Latin authors describe Chiron among them Seneca in his tragedy Hercules Furens, where Chiron is described as an old man clad in foul guard with haggard cheeks and an unkempt beard. Hmm. A fierce ferryman who guides his craft with a long pole. When the boatman tells Heracles to halt, the Greek hero uses his strength to gain passage, overpowering Chiron with the boatman's own pole. And then more and more, you know, until he gets prettier and prettier and prettier, basically. But I found that one interesting, where Chiron is described as an old man clad in foul garb with haggard cheeks and an unkempt beard.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I've watched a few different breakdowns, uh, explanations on YouTube, and There was something I read that that it was the tale of Prometheus, and uh, Robert Pattinson's character is Prometheus, the one who gets his guts eaten over and over every day, right? And then I can't remember who the the theory was that that, um, Willem Dafoe's character was. Okay, so... The name of the Norse ferryman
0: is Harborer, which means graybeard. Harborer repeatedly boasts of his conquests of giantesses, as does does Odin. While many scholars still disagree on it, Harborer is usually considered to be Odin. This is based on not only... Odin's statement in Mall that Harborough is one of his bindings, but that Odin is notorious for disguising himself to interact with people of worth. If you read more on what William Morris said, he cites in his translation, the man in the boat is Odin Dallas. So whether you want to believe it or not, we could look at it as two gods. We could look at it as... Two prisoners, like uh, on their way to hell or going through purgatory? I guess, that, not the way that I see it, but I don't know how how you view the movie, more or less. Yeah. So, I would say in it depends on how you view the movie. Mm-hmm. In my view, it could be one of three ways. One, it's just a story. These two guys get stuck on an island when they go insane and kill each other.
1: Yeah. The that's other the simplest one, form of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: The other one is this one has Norse-Greek tragedy written all over it. Yeah. And that these two are... It's it's either uh, Heimdall and Loki, and and this is Ragnarok, mm-hmm. or it, it could be that these two are ferried here from the uh, from Chiron on the River Styx. Yeah, because of their because of their life that they lived, they were shuttled off onto this island to. Await judgment. It doesn't really matter, you know. <laughs> Live in hell. The, the the island could be hell. Yeah. The other thing is, is we can dive even deeper in that. Uh, the seagulls represent those guys. They represent Pattinson and Defoe. And as Pattinson is, is uh, priming the bilge pump, not the bilge pump, the, the other pump. He's priming the pump and then the, and the water starts coming out and it's all dirty. Yeah. That's supposed to be blood, but you can't tell. And then he goes out and sees the dead seagull in the water. Mm-hmm. And then the other seagull with the one eye attacks him. And then at the end of the movie, he's lying there and the seagulls are eating his guts and he has only one eye. Yeah. That could be, that's probably, the seagull with the one eye is representative of himself. Uh-huh. And the dead seagull is the fucking, is Willem Dafoe's character whom he killed. Yeah. Because the seagull died first, Willem Dafoe's character died first, you know, and then the way that he was attacked, he, had, he tried to grab the wings. He has a broken wing. Yeah. He, he got cut in the arm and stuff like that. So, um, there's, there's a whole lot of interpretation into this movie. The, the horn, and the reason why I go with the Norse mythology thing is the horn that, that signals the end, the Ragnarok. And these two are fighting each other. It's Heimdall and Loki fighting each other. It, it's, it's pulled straight from that story. And... The ferry is what's left of the Bifrost Bridge, you know. Yeah, and it, it, and the storms and everything else is is related to their their fight. They're crazy, you know. So when he kills the seagull, it indicates that as the winds change and stuff like that, the winds have changed, yeah. right? And when that happens. The um, the crazy factor is ramped up. It's it, they slowly they don't slowly descend into madness. They peer on fucking fight each other. They, they, they're shown fighting each other yeah. and then dancing. But that doesn't mean that they're dancing because they love each other or whatever they're else. Just tired well, doesn't necessarily mean that they're tired. It's still a fight and to see who's in charge. Yeah, who's leading who in the dance? Right. Yep. And
1: who's on first?
0: <laughs> and from there, there, you know, it's, it's an, another fight about the drinks and, and the food and, and all this other stuff. The one thing that I see that they got wrong in this is right here. Winslow observes Wake going up to the lighthouse lantern room at night stripping naked. Winslow begins experiencing visions and dreams of tentacles in the lighthouse, tree stumps floating in the water, and distant images of a mermaid. Well, first and foremost, he doesn't begin experiencing visions and dreams of tree stumps floating in the water. Those are memories of him killing the guy that he took, whose name he took, whose identity he took. When they were in the wilderness cutting down trees. Yeah. When they were loggers. On top of that, uh, yeah, right here it says, reveals that he used to work in Canada as a timberman, but decided to change professions. And this is, again, what goes right into the whole Loki thing. He assumed the identity of another man. Yeah. And so this is Loki and Heimdall fighting each other, if you want to take it to that version of The mythology. Yeah. Here's the other thing that's wrong is he runs back into the cottage to find Wake stating that the rations were impacted by the storm. They dig up a crate said to contain extra rations, but it only contains more alcohol. It doesn't because he's literally seen taking cans out of wherever they were storing the alcohol Mm -hmm. and putting them on the table and they were talking about the rations and everything else. They were using rations not only for alcohol, but actual food. Yeah. So, they were using cans of whatever, peaches or blah, 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 blah.
1: Did it seem like it, there was times where he was drinking gasoline or like He um, was. It was kerosene. Yeah, kerosene, yeah. in some other mixture. Fuck. Okay. So, real quick, according to IMDb's trivia, Robert Eggers... The director said that the two lead characters represent figures in Greek mythology. Wake, Willem Dafoe's character, represents Proteus, an old prophetic sea god who is called the old man of the sea. Uh And Winslow, um, Pattinson's character, represents Prometheus, a titan and trickster trickster figure (laughs) um, who defies the gods by stealing fire.
0: Which is Loki.
1: Yeah. So, it's like Prometheus is similar in ways to, because, um, oh, wait, wait, there's Greek and there's Norse, right? There's um, Roman, there's Greek, there's yeah. Norse, there's a whole bunch of them. Yeah. So, yeah. So, there's similarities between um, Prometheus and Loki. And the part that, the you know, the, the fact that they're eating out his guts at the end, that's what happens to Prometheus. That's his curse from the gods. Right still want to know though. and the horn can't
0: be not a cornucopia horn because but it's it could be the, the the Poseidon's horn you know like in in when we were, you watch Clash of the Titans and they call the uh yeah. Kraken I found this movie really cool uh um there's very few movies that I'm I get sucked into yeah there's very like this that are talk movies and this one also reminded me of uh, the original Frankenstein okay. if you've ever watched the original Frankenstein with the wheelbarrows and all this other yeah. stuff you know very basic very in, in involved yeah. that's the word I was looking for but for the most part I don't care for the movie Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. I don't find it, I, di- I never found it that interesting, anyways. It, it, there are, like, this movie comparatively to that movie, this is a very 1930s esque movie, talkie picture. And what's going on with this movie makes Frankenstein look like, well, it is. A school project? Yes, it's exactly what it is. It's not even a school project. It's like someone's weekend, you know, dalliance with film. I was going to say weekend
1: at Bernie's, you know, because it's a dead body.
0: Yeah, no. (laughs) It's just, you know... an amateur's weekend at you know, you know their their dad's house. That you know, their, their dad got divorced, so he gave him a fucking camera, you yeah. know, and said, "Here, go do this." And then he got a bunch of friends together and decided this is how they're going to make a movie.
1: Here, M. Night. Now you
0: can make your Indiana Jones movies. There you go. Right. And. and This movie, The Lighthouse, is the culmination of 90 years, 97 years or whatever it was, 90 plus years of making movies, which brings us right back to Frankenstein. And the way that they he had done the movie is I'm not saying shot for shot, but the way that he had done the movie and the way that he shows Pattinson with the wheelbarrow as Igor is pushing the wheelbarrow, you know things like that. Uh, there's a lot of similarities between this movie and Frankenstein, yeah. where where uh, Willem Dafoe's character is the mad doctor, mad Frank Doctor Frankenstein, and Pattinson is Igor, yeah, you know, and and in the end we get what we get, but they're leading up to the whole end of the movie where you have these long shots down the hallway where they, you have that hallway that leads to the lighthouse, right? And, and there's water but you don't know if it's water if it's blood yeah right you don't know how long that this fight's been going on for because they could be in fucking purgatory we don't know yeah and then that the the sound of the horn going off throughout the movie i thought it was going to be really annoying
1: at first yeah because they kept playing for like a good what two minutes
0: yeah yeah but it was important to the movie so and at some point you really actually get used to it.
1: it yeah i think like the characters do right yeah well, it, it slowly
0: fades off into the background as well. Yeah. So you're not really listening to the horn as, as much as, there, as yeah. you're watching the movie. And every time the horn goes off, you know, Pattinson's character is just getting angry. Especially that angrier. one
1: time where it's like right next to him. Yeah. And he just like, I think he punched the wall or something. He's like, God damn. It. So. Oh my God! What a horrible existence that would be to have to live like that and have to work like that. That's uh, I, I like I like living now. <laughs> it's a good Apparently time. not. It's a, so. it's a good it's a good time to live now. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, relatively. So, um,
0: except for your, your reliance on electricity, it's a good time to be alive.
1: Hey, I didn't say it wasn't cool. I just said we're very reliant on it. I know you're a tech guy, so it's hard for you to fathom other than, but it is. You you know, we did live without electricity before 200 years ago no oh. where we had you know no fucking way of
0: actually curing anything
1: okay well hey you know what
0: our reliance on electricity hey Ugh, regardless <laughs> um, this is not a perfect movie, by the way. I don't give a shit what anybody says. It got the vaunted A-plus from Stockman, but he doesn't do 1 to 10. A-plus is A-plus, whatever that is.
1: It's, I'm, it's getting creepy that I can predict what, by, by the way he sounds in his reviews, I can always predict what his rating is going to be within either perfectly or within one mark so if i'll if, like say I'll, I'll i'll go a he'll go a minus or i'll go oh that sounds like it's going to be a c minus or something and then he's like he'll say either say c minus or he'll say you know c <laughs> i'm like god damn it why am i i'm zoning into this guy way too much um but you look i mean he that's the way he took it i i look i'm i wouldn't give this movie an a plus because for me to see a movie as an a plus i have to be I have to actually love the film. I have to like fall in love with it. I have to. It's a movie that I, you know, that touched me <laughs> in a good way. Uh This I... movie, this movie didn't touch me. It didn't. Um, it, it, it like, I mean, it, it creeped me out a little bit here and there a little bit, but, it didn't, yeah, I mean, but I wasn't, um, I never cared for the characters, because the characters are, are intentionally undesirable characters. Um, but that has nothing to do with it being a perfect film. That's just characters. Well, I mean, you know, go back to Rogue One and, and, and other films, If you, I mean, The Revenant. If you don't care about the fucking main characters, who gives a shit about the movie? You don't have to care about the characters if the movie's good. S- sometimes, yeah. Almost all the time. Well, I didn't care about these characters, and the movie was good. So, I, you, sometimes, you know, sometimes you, you don't always have to. I, I, I agree. Three.
0: Robbie Collin of the Daily Telegraph gave the film a perfect score. This is not a per- there is no such thing as a perfect movie.
1: Okay, so what? About this movie in your eyes keeps it from being perfect. There's no such thing
0: as a perfect movie. You can't have a perfect movie. I don't give a shit what it is. There's no such thing.
1: Okay. Well, the word in these people's eyes, perfect, <laughs> is 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 subjective. So it, it,
0: <laughs> the definition of perfect is everything went according to plan.
1: Yeah, everything fell into place
0: perfectly. There's no such thing. I I, I, I can't point out one thing or another. It's a good movie. I, I, you know, the characters not liking the characters doesn't take away from a film getting a good grade or not. That doesn't. That doesn't, in my opinion, it shouldn't knock down a, a good movie. If you don't care about the main characters, who gives a shit? No, because there's more than just the main characters going on in an entire movie. There's scenes. There's 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 the underlying. Uh, the, primary, secondary, and tertiary storylines in most places. This one really didn't have anything, but this one had like one storyline. Well, it had two storylines, really. Mm Well, most of it was from Pattinson's point of view. But calling this movie perfect, like I, I joke about, you know, the, the perfect movie to me is Raid of the Lost Ark or Empire. Empire or whatever. But again, far from perfect. There's, But I, it doesn't matter what I see with the problems with it. W- what What the reality is, is this. If you make, if you keep telling somebody everything they do is great, everything they do is perfect, then they start to regress. Mm. And their work gets shittier and shittier. Kind
1: of like Peter Frampton?
0: (laughs) Kind of like M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. And when you have, when you have that sort of problem... And you come out the gate with these two great movies. You know, he did The Witch. I'm not a big fan of those movies. And he, he did this movie. And I like this movie. I mean, I love this movie. But telling people... This is the problem with Hollywood. Is yes men and telling everybody they're fucking great. Because... The reality is, is that there's always problems.
1: I'm surprised that they're giving it perfect when it stars two white guys, two straight white guys. <laughs> you, you think there'd be like some criticism like, well, why isn't one of them gay? Why isn't one of them, uh, you know, why wasn't, uh, you know, why isn't, wasn't there an Eskimo there with them or something, you know? <laughs> am I Am I wrong? Yes. I I am not wrong. A lot of these critics will find fucking shit just to...
0: It's an 18th century lighthouse setting. You're not going to have fucking diversity in this movie.
1: It's a period piece. I agree. But if we're going to go into that realm of of breaking down what other critics are saying, or not saying, I just thought I'd throw that in there. Give my little jab at what's going on lately. That makes sense. I mean, I'm not...
0: So look, I, I, this is what I hate. I hate bringing politics into this. It's yeah. not in. I'm, I'm. It's your fucking fault for doing that. <laughs> I hate fucking bringing politics into this because I don't want to bring politics into these goddamn movie reviews. And then you, and then you throw that curveball in there, <laughs> and I, I really just want to reach over and choke the shit out of you because of it. I, I and, and but you make a good point, <laughs> which is. The the, the 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 times that we live in yeah. where where google is is manipulating searches you know yeah. and manipulating people using chrome in, into believing what they see on on the internet is actual truth yeah like seriously just google white family and then when you're at it google black family and then google latino family and you'll see some very very interesting results. <laughs> and 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 then Joe brings up the whole because we were doing this. Joe brings I, I don't think politics. I'm doing movie reviews. I because I, I abhor it. I fucking hate politics. Yeah. And Joe, but Joe brings up a great point, which is it's this is a period piece and. I'm surprised that I haven't read more about the fact that there are people complaining that you know they're not gay enough, yeah. Or where are the women, yeah? You know, or 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 the black people, or the Latinos, or yeah. this and that. And women are only thing.
1: good enough to be mermaids <laughs> and get raped on rocks. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And and it was directed by well, it was produced by a Latino Rodrigo Tashira, uh, Jay Van Hoy, who is. Uh, what is that? That's um, Dutch. Uh, Robert Eggers. I don't, I can't remember who Robert, uh, L- Lorenzo Santana and Yuri Henley. So, you know, a lot of European and, and, people of non-american descent right Blaszki, which i think is polish all of these films canadian so a lot of these a lot of these are probably fucking canadians too.
1: especially like compared to what we just saw a few weeks ago was the joker how they just broke a lot of people not everybody but a lot of outlets were breaking down all of its societal faux pas yeah you know yeah and and
0: And this movie, like I said, going back to Perfect or Not, this is a great movie. It's Oscar-worthy fucking movie.
1: Yes. Very, very well done. Very well done.
0: There's lots of problems with it, but we don't need to get into those lots of problems. And the lots of problems are, you know, just the tip of the iceberg, which is, you know, uh, scenes where Robert Pattinson is doing specific things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Actually, I'll get specific with a couple of scenes. One of them, which is... Every day he has to get coal, and he brings coal to the coal furnace to keep the light lit, yeah, okay, so anybody that's worth their salt that has done this before it starts to rain, so he doesn't put boards down to help him, yeah, he also doesn't dig out the rocks that are there that to make, make more the treacherous path, yeah to make the path easier to get with, right, yeah. but yet he'll dig up the fucking rations, he'll fix the the leak in the in the house, yeah, you know. And and this may be part of his character that he doesn't want to do that, but he knows because he worked in the Timberlands in Canada. So he knows that Paths,
1: are important how the fuck did you think of that damn what it's no it's good i, I it just it's very in depth it just i it's fuck just that. a natural all right uh,
0: good damn when 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 you're doing anything yeah. path like okay most of the pathways that you see most of the roads that you see those are deer trails hunting trails cow trails etc 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 yeah and most of those have been dug in, like you the the rotaries, the roundabouts, mm-hmm. those are cow paths. So, when you see a natural roundabout or a natural rotary, that's because people were taking their cows to and from, and they would go, you know, round one way and then the other. Yeah. Right? And now we're just putting rotaries in everywhere because it makes things prettier, I guess. It's stupid, but whatever. Mm-hmm. But that's the point I'm trying to make. China is, looks like Europe. <clears throat> yeah. Go figure. Or China. So when you have all of this going on what well, I have a theory. What if they're all just
1: secret hidden missile silos? <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's funny. Um but yeah, man, you know it's possible. When 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 you have a a man that is supposedly able to do all this work, yeah. They would make it easier on themselves to do all this work, like when he's gre- when he's. I think it's the lie. I think that's what he has. His lie. Yeah. The stuff for the um the uh, uh oh why can't I remember that fluid that 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 the water the, where where the water goes. Why can't I remember that? The cistern. That's it right there. So when you have a cistern, <clears throat> he was putting whatever he was putting in it, right? And again, I, I'm assuming it's lie. That he, put the, that he put in there to... Uh, Kill the bacteria or whatever. Hey, what, what do you put in lighthouse cisterns? Is that lie? You can say yes. <laughs> Coming from my mother, I had to ask her, because back East, this is shit you know. Yeah. It's just like common knowledge back East. Like, everybody knows this shit.
1: Yeah, like you're <laughs> supposed to know all about lobster potting and it, stuff. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: So... So when you put lye in in where are you going with my all right when 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 you put lye in the cistern it's supposed to kill all the bacteria as you said
1: yeah and that sounds fucking un-
0: <laughs> that's not safe <laughs> yeah and he's dragging the bag on his back mm-hmm. instead of using the wheelbarrow
1: yeah you know so he's he
0: uh, I don't know why
1: uh, let me get like psychological with it for a second. What if almost like he subconsciously feels like he deserves to suffer because of the sins that he's committed?
0: Well, if we're going with Greek tragedy or, or you know, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly what, what it would be doing is that he's not given the tools to be able to do all the shit, yeah. but he's got hammers and shovels, so
1: yeah, you know. Uh, maybe, I, you know what? Maybe, here's another theory. What if because he, he's only supposed to be there for four weeks, what if he just you know, convinced himself that it wasn't going to be that bad. And so that, oh, this one rainstorm, it won't happen again, or some shit, some bullshit. Yeah. You know, tricked himself, and then, you know, keeps doing it like, ah, oh, fuck it. Here. It
0: it's could not. be. You you absolutely could be right. But if you're there for the first three days... Yeah. Like, like after three days, I'd be like, fuck this. <laughs> Why
1: hasn't the lighthouse blown away yet? <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I'd be, I would be putting down fucking ruts and making sure that I can get the wheelbarrow to and from point A to point B. Like, he's dragging the wheelbarrow through grass and all this other shit... Mm. You know, up to the house, and then up to where the horn is, and all this other stuff. Yeah. And, and that is such a nightmare to deal with, you know? And then they've got to board up all the windows for the storm coming in, and he needs help, so they, they do that together. Yeah. And then they forget to board up one of the windows, and the storm crashes through that window, you know? <laughs> uh-huh. So, there, there's, a, there's, there's continuity issue already right there. So, that's what I mean by it. there's a lot of problems with this movie in terms of how a person actually thinks through things. Yeah. And, you know making it easier on themselves especially after the first five days of working at a place yeah. and they're, even though they're only there for four weeks after the second week they've made it easier on themselves to be able to travel to and from by pulling down either boards or, yeah. or something to be able to get from point A to point B faster.
1: Yeah, I because I, 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 I know that I've, I've done things like that. I can't think of it off the top of my head but I've, I've done that. We, I, we all do that. Yeah, so. It's just a matter of learning patterns.
0: Mm-hmm. So, when, when we see this going on yeah in particular this is and, and then like I said the other issue is is the water coming crashing through the window if they've boarded up all the windows like they were supposed to which we sh- they showed us boarding up the windows how did the water crash through the window?
1: Okay. Another theory is maybe there was more passage of time, and they were starting neglecting their duties. Like you know, there was no
0: passage of time. It was was five weeks. The second week, or the second, or the third week, right before the fourth week, they had to board up the windows, or during that fourth week, they had to board up the windows. There was no passage of time. Well, there was five. It was this was takes place over five weeks, so they had enough provisions for that amount of time. Yeah. Maybe longer. However, it's continuity issue. That's the simplest problem. And when you have a continuity issue, do you have multiple continuity issues? And it's rife with continuity issues. I'm fine with that. I don't care. Because he makes a good movie. Yeah. And you're going to have continuity issues. Yeah, I didn't even notice that shit. So when you have continuity issues, then this doesn't become a perfect movie. And that's where I'm coming from with all of this, is that there there are good things, there there's some great things about this movie. This movie gets an A. Yeah. It absolutely gets an A. This is a nine, nine and a half on a 10 scale. That's how little the continuity issues mean. Mm -hmm. You know, so we don't blow it up that much. It's not that big of a deal. But what I'm saying is, is that when people start giving movies like this perfect scores and whatnot and saying these are whatever, you are setting a standard for other movie makers that you possibly cannot commit to those other movie makers. Yeah. And Look, that's the problem.
1: I don't even know if I could give Lord of the Rings Return of the King Extended Edition a 10. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, you shouldn't and,
0: be giving anybody and, a 10. And
1: that's my favorite movie. So, I, I don't... Uh, yeah, I mean, that one I'd probably do a 9.89. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, yeah I, I I I don't know uh, if I could ever make you know Sam movie's perfect because it's there's yeah there's just there's never going to be but- the witch
0: 90% based on 317. So I kind of give a fuck about Rotten Tomatoes, obviously. Average rating of 7.77. Uh, thought-provoking as it is visually compelling. Oh, yeah. Metacritic is 83 out of 100 based on 46 critics, indicating universal acclaim. Audiences polled by CinemaScore gave the average grade of a C- on an A to F scale, while Post-Track Film Goers gave it 55%. Overall positive score, 41% recommended. Um, I don't even want to get into all the writing... But uh, Rolling Stone gave the film three and a half stars. Uh, Let's see. uh, Stephanie Zacharek summarized the movie in time as a triumph of tone. Um, Cinema Blend rated it five stars, writing that as acting, lighting, music, writing... Acting, lighting, music, writing, production design, cinematography, editing, and direction—all immediately impressed. Wait a second. Cinema store audiences polled by Cinema Score gave the film a, Okay, that's audiences. Yeah. Cinema Score, in and of itself, gave the film five stars. You see where I'm going with this? Yeah. So this movie is all over the place. Mm. When now, what what did you give the movie on? What did you um, do you remember?
1: If I was going to give the, the witch a rating, um, if we went back to our 10 scale, I would probably give it a, uh, damn, I, I'd probably do a seven and a half to eight. Okay. It was good. It so, was really, really good. Let's call it an eight.
0: So, because um, And I'm calling it an eight because an average rating on Rotten Tomatoes is 7.777, hmm. okay? Hmm. Or 90%. So, seven and nine, add that, divide by two, get eight, yeah. right? 16, two, eight. So... Eight, Metacritic 83 this this is all over the place when his ratings yeah okay and that's that's my issue with with you rated his movie this all over the place and now you're rating his next movie as perfect yeah you know what I'm saying which means that you're not looking at this movie in terms of anything else other than it's not a, a superhero film, it's not a John Wick movie, it's not a Star Wars movie, you know, Disney, Marvel, Pixar, blah blah blah. So
1: just because it's different,
0: they're giving it a high rating. Exactly. Yeah. And and they shit all over Quentin Tarantino's movie. Yeah. Because it's Quentin Tarantino's fairy tale love of Hollywood, and it didn't do justice to the the Sharon Tate
1: murders. But hey. And it disrespected uh, Bruce Lee's legacy. Yeah,
0: absolutely. (laughs) So, And then you get all these people saying, this movie sucks. Yeah. And they're just following along like sheep saying, this movie sucks. Oh, yeah, this movie sucks. I'll never go see this movie. Well, if you're never going to see the movie, then you don't know it sucks. Fucking watch the movie. Yeah. Stop throwing your opinions into the ring if you haven't experienced or done anything or tried it. Yeah. Because I don't want to hear it. Just like that fucking no n- no film school numbnuts that won't go see uh, The Joker. Won't go see Joker. Oh. It's not The Joker. Yeah. Won't go see Joker. But he will fucking review the shit out of the movie and give his opinion on it. Hmm. That's what I mean. This is why we pay for our own movies. This is why I have no problem paying for the movie because I would rather pay for the movie and, and review it. So that way you guys know that the people that are fucking seeing these movies, regardless of whether we're critics or or, you know, we're not paid shills. We have, we have a stake in it. and, and Yeah. And I'll tell you, the I, I don't give a shit. I will sell the fuck out immediately. We're not selling out, we're buying in. Mm -hmm. And I will sell out or buy into the whole process, but I will never stop paying to see the movies because that's uh, taking away our credibility. And that's the other problem is I don't want to take away our credibility.
1: I don't mind getting paid for this shit, but I'll pay
0: to go see our shit.
1: What if though we started getting a bunch of pre-screening passes? I'd still go pay to see the movie.
0: All right. Because I don't buy, I don't, I don't believe in screeners. I, I think that screeners are, are, are. I know people in the in the industry that do get screeners, and uh, boy, do I have some stories about that. <laughs> Long story short, is people that get screeners are given the screeners because they are part of the academy and they're voting for their favorite movie for the academy awards.
1: I didn't mean screener. I meant um um pre pre release screenings where they actually get to go to a theater and we you know with other.
0: I wouldn't mind one or two, but for the most part, you know, and, and if we if that ever happened, I'd still be just as tough on these movies Man. as I am now.
1: Because I'll tell you what, it, I'll tell you what, if you got uh, pre, uh, pre-release pre uh passes to go see like a Star Wars film, like two weeks or a month before it came out, you'd fucking jump on that shit. Maybe. I don't know. It depends on where it uh, is. Well, I mean, it, it'd have to be somewhat near local, of course, but yeah. I don't mean we're going to fly to LA or... I don't know if they pay for the tickets, yeah. Or... Houston to pay for the tickets. Yeah, wherever the Alamo Draft House is, if they pay for the tickets, yeah, it was at the Alamo which is in San Antonio. I don't. I will never do any
0: business with the Alamo Draft House.
1: Is a story for another day. No, we've talked about this. Is because of the support of
0: uh, Red Beard.
1: Yes. Okay.
0: Right. I I do not. You know, it's it,
1: been a while, dude. So I don't. And,
0: and we'll have to look more into that one and yeah. see how true it is. But um, I can't support. A company that supports someone like him. Yeah, I got you. And and until we do a little bit more research on Harry Knowles, uh, I have no reason to not disbelieve the story right now. Got too much evidence. So
1: all right, so we both recommend seeing the lighthouse, don't we? Yes, absolutely.
0: All right, and it's a
1: great fucking movie. It's Perfect, Im- it is not.
0: Imperfect. It is a great movie, and it's worth it. Uh, as far as the witch, it's his other movie. Go check it out. I don't know what other movies he I st- has I made. I believe
1: it is still available on Netflix. It might also be available Just on... Just go Google. get on DVD. Um, but The Witch, yeah. Witch is very well done. It doesn't do cheap jump scares. Oh, it, he
0: did Hansel and Gretel.
1: No, no, no. He didn't. That's that's a short film. Those are... I already looked up his bio. He's only done two theatrical, theatrically released full-length films. And that's that's The Witch and, and uh, The Lighthouse. Oh, short film, documentary, yeah. short film, feature film, spirit
0: cabinet, The yes. House at the Edge of the Galaxy. See Rose Brothers, Anemone. Yeah. So he's, uh, he's
1: had a lot of practice, make with short films. Yep. And he's a production designer, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm, this guy's on my radar now, man. I, I, I you know, I want to see what he's going to do next. And, uh, he wants to do Nosferatu. Yeah. He's been wanting to do Nosferatu. Uh, or this. And, and also, um, um, Lars, oh my God. Ari Aster. Lars, Ari Aster, who did Midsummer and uh, Hereditary. Uh, That guy's also as horror filmmakers. Also, Fetty Alvarez, who did Evil Dead and Don't Breathe. Those guys understand how to make a horror film. They understand tone and pacing and all that stuff and not cheap jump scares. So, yeah. All right. All right. So, awesome. Go see Lighthouse. Okay. Do it. All right. Thanks for listening.